Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. Music of America podcast continues. We wrap up our visit to Missouri today with a sponsor and friend of mine, Joe Mendel from Mendel's Frets. And we'll get with Joe in Chesterfield, Missouri. Uh, Founded back in 1999, Jazz Generation is a jazz education and performance initiative that creates playing opportunities for children and adults in New York through three different programs. The Jazz Discovery Program introduces New York City grade schoolers from all backgrounds, both public and private schools, from diverse neighborhoods of New York City to a live jazz performance, often for the first time. The Jazz Standard Youth Orchestra is a performance-driven program that gives talented and dedicated young jazz musicians the opportunity to perform every Sunday, often with guest artists from the New York jazz scene. Keyed Up is a program I talk about a lot here on this show. It's the most recent program started almost 10 years ago. They started by rescuing pianos destined for the dumpster. They position these in smaller local venues that are known more for their hospitality, like, say, a coffee shop, a bookstore. Then they ask the venue to chip in what they can to cover the musician's compensation. That which they can't cover, Jazz Generation covers. So it helps promote jazz. It puts money in the hands of the youth doing music which is really, really cool, and doesn't burden the venue owner that much. Jazz Generation, they're called. You can find them on the website, jazzgeneration.org, or you can find them through our Facebook page, I'm sorry, through our website, which is www.musicofamericapodcast.com. So, Joe, welcome to the Music of America podcast. First, thank you for being one of our sponsors. Uh don't know how it's working for you, but it's fun to have sponsors on the show, and it's fun to have the sponsors be friends of yours. I should tell people that Joe and I have known each other for, geez, how many years now? Uh, well, we played at the St. Louis County Fair in 2007. So, Is that when it was? 2007. 2007 in there somewhere? Yeah. It was the last one that they did, St. Louis County Fair and Air Show, right? I always wondered if it was our fault. <laughs> So Joe played, um, it was an interesting thing because Joe played uh, mandolin with like a bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. And then we segued into an acoustic set with a friend of mine from college who's also a friend of Joe's. And uh, that was Rich Neiman who got in and played an acoustic song or two. Then I stepped in with Rich. Then he and I did a set. Then my brother came in and he joined us for a set. And then Rich and I stayed and then we went electric with our instruments and and played with a a short-lived band called america's most wanted <laughs> that was 17 years ago wow <laughs> hard to believe isn't it no kidding yeah okay stop it <laughs> <laughs> so um people that listen to the show that, that have listened to the show off and on uh have heard me talk about your mandolins, your octave mandolins, and your guitar that you've made for me. So what we want to do is talk about those aspects of your business. But right now in this first section, let's just talk about you, your musical background, your personal background, and what got you from working in the auto industry into building these really cool instruments. Okay, well, um, you know, naturally, like everybody else our age, it was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. 
<laughs> if you're interested in guitar. Um, and then, you know, I, I took lessons through through grade school and, and probably into high school. And then I when I went to work out at the Wentzville General Motors uh, Assembly Center, I got put on a team with a guy who was um, uh, a really well-known regional bluegrass mandolin player. And um, up to that point, I had I liked bluegrass, but I didn't know anybody that played it. Um, I was pretty much a, a rock and roller guy, uh, big time Eagles, Poco, all that kind of stuff. And then even hard rock. And Don would walk by my workstation every day and say, Joe, why do you listen to that shit? For <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, uh, so he got me interested in, uh, in the mandolin again. Mm-hmm. And I was too cheap to pay for a nice American-made mandolin, so I bought a couple of kits and built two really horrendous <laughs> mandolins. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I, I built several mountain dulcimer kits, and then that sort of led into me working on my own instruments, and then friends asking me to work on uh, on their instruments. Yeah. And then uh, they shut the plant down in uh, 1993, and I went to Luthier School at South Plains College in uh, Level Land, Texas, yeah. for two semesters. And um, uh, I, I was the star student, not because I was so good, but because I was interested. I followed the teacher and a couple of <laughs> a couple of other guys that would come in every so often around like a lost puppy. And uh, I soaked up everything I could. So it wasn't uh, that you were that good. You just followed the teacher. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I was interested. I was fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I, I mean, and I guess that helped make me good at what I do. Um, but uh, and then when I got back, I, uh, you know, uh, did a little apprenticeship sort of at uh, mu- Music Folk, mm-hmm. and then uh, then um, I went to work at the St. Charles Guitar Exchange. And then got called back to General Motors at the same time Fazio's music uh, had asked me to go to work for them. But obviously, I I couldn't go to work for them and work at General Motors. Um, Now, these uh, are all these are all music stores in and around the St. Louis area. Correct. Music folk is uh, like acoustic winds kind of music store in Webster Groves. Then. uh, St. Charles is just outside of St. Louis. It's the next like big city over one right next door. And then yep. Fazio's is in were, uh, was Fazio's in St. Charles by then, or was this? No, the... they were they were on Manchester Road in Manchester. Okay. Um, they've since been changed. They Mike retired so and right. sold the business, and now it's now Ernie Williamson Music. But I haven't haven't done anything for any of the stores for a long time. Yeah. Um, and through actually through through two of the guys that I met at uh, St. Charles Guitar Exchange, one went to work for Fazio's and one went to work for Mozingo Music. I ended oh. up repairing. I remember ended up what I would do. And since I was working full time uh, after, after I had talked to Mike and told him I couldn't work in the store about three months later, he called and said, Hey, I have this, this banjo that needs some work. Were you interested in working on it? And uh, so I went down to the store, picked it up, did the work, brought it back. 
And I always tease Mike that he never actually hired me. <laughs> he had more stuff for me to take every time I showed up. And that's really a true story. Uh, he, we never actually, I mean, we negotiated prices and stuff, but right, right. It was never like, I'm working for you. It was like, okay, we've got these. Do you want to, you know, you want to take them? And it, it, it turned into a, a, I was making, I was working full time with General Motors and full time at home at night repairing instruments. You are literally the guy. When Mike would say, I got a guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. He did have in-store repair people, but I did the big stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know. And it all started with kits. Now, tell me about kits. Did you have all the woodworking equipment and everything you have now? No. Okay. Uh, I was I was kind of into woodworking, not, not heavily. Um, and basically those two mandolins that I started with were made on my mom's dining room table with a couple of hand tools, Yeah, um, which probably was why they weren't very good because I didn't have the right tools to, to carve the tops and backs and stuff. Right. Um, they were, they were playable instruments. They didn't sound very good. <laughs> and the trade-off though, was you get to say that I built this myself. Right. Um, and I've since learned that there, you know, a lot of people are selling guitar kits these days and some mandolin kits too. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, I can get a really good guitar for pretty cheap, um, which is kind of the way they they market them. But in reality, you know, a kit might be five or six hundred dollars, but you need uh -huh. about three thousand dollars worth of tools. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but that's a one time investment. Then if you want to buy more kits, you build a whole arsenal of guitars, right? But then you keep buying more tools. And they, <laughs> that's right. Because those tools will break down and have to get replaced. Well, and, well, and then there's always better, newer tools to help you well, do it sure. faster, easier, you know. <laughs> it's boys and their toys, right? It's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> so did you now when did you officially retire as an auto worker and do this full time? Or do you do this full time? No, I, I do it full time. Um I uh, I retired from General Motors in 2006. They offered an early retirement, and mm -hmm. I couldn't wait to get out the door. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been keeping me uh, busy. And then um, for the last year, I've been working two days a week at Hibden Hardwoods, which is uh, downtown St. Louis. Um, mm -hmm. And they have been in business for 40 years selling wood for guitars and other instruments basically that's, oh, that's what they do. so they specialize in instruments and they don't it's yep. not just a hardwood like i can go and buy hardwood for a hardwood floor it's uh you could on a special order but their basic business is instrument wood How cool um and they used to used to actually you know sell lumber and stuff but i guess the the guitar wood is probably more profitable now the when you and I first met, I think the the mandolin you talked about the most was your octave, yes. right? And I want to talk about that in our next section. So okay. get thinking about that, and I'm going to talk about my brother here a little bit. I was talking to a friend of mine about my brother's couple's workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a, a like a how-to guide to improve your communication skills, which, as anyone knows, that's ever been in any kind of a relationship. It's crucial. So we spoke a little later in the conversation. I mentioned the book again. I said, two years after forever is the name of the book I told you my brother wrote. And she interrupts me. She goes, oh, wait, well, your brother's book. 
I thought you meant a book you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two entirely different interpretations. Well, in two years after forever, there are exercises that help you form better communicative skills to avoid pratfalls like that one. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help you get back to why two years ago, maybe, you pledged a lifetime together forever. Two years after forever, two years after forever.com and available at Amazon today and forever. Now, Joe has met my brother, Mike, who wrote that book. So that's, that's why I wanted to bring that in here because it's a, okay. there's just like a, there's a certain symmetry to that somehow, I guess. Well, and back in 2007, um, he was part of the group that we all played together. That's right. That's right. I still can't believe it was 17 years ago. <laughs> uh, old fast. So I call him on the show. I call him Mendo's Man, Mendel's Mandos, and you call him the Octave Mandolin. So tell me about an octave mandolin. It's uh, the way I describe it is it's got the uh, the punch of a guitar, but the the tonal quality of a of a mandolin. Is that accurate? Uh, I I would say, of course, sort of the opposite. It's more in the guitar range, but it has a little bit of the punch okay. of, of the mandolin. I don't have my script in front of me, so I was I knew I was I had a 50-50 chance of getting it right and I got it wrong. <laughs> oh well. But that's that's what it is though. It's a half guitar, half mandolin kind of. Oh sort of. It's uh I as I understand it, it's basically a derivative of a Greek bazooki. Um, oh, okay. Which we've probably all heard at some time and didn't know what it was. Uh, bazookis tend to have octave strings, like a 12-string guitar, uh -huh. whereas the octave mandolin has unison strings, uh, like a mandolin. Um, uh, it's my, my octave mandolins have a 22 and three-quarter inch scale. A regular mandolin is much shorter that. Um, I can't remember exactly. Is it uh, like in the... Oh, I should know this. It's in the neighborhood of like 13 inches for okay. the scale. Um, I, I should and, know and that. For, exactly for, the, know. for the novice, for the novice like myself, what does that mean? What does a 23 and a quarter inch scale mean versus a 13 inch scale? What's that? What does that mean exactly? Uh, you have to use, you know, strings are obviously longer. The, your, the uh, frets are farther apart, uh, more like a guitar. Kind of interesting that mandolin players think octave mandolins are that the the stretches are too far for your left hand. Guitar players don't seem to mind because it's actually a little bit shorter than a guitar. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it just it's a such a cool sounding instrument. Whether you know I built them or not, I owned and still own one that I had made for me several years ago. But I owned a couple of them before I started building them and. Uh, it's just a, such a cool sound. Yeah. The first kit that you bought wasn't an octave, was it? It was, a it was not. Uh, the first kit I bought uh, was an A-model mandolin, which is sort of a teardrop-shaped mandolin with arch top and back like an arch top guitar and F-holes. The second one was what they call an F-model mandolin, which is way beyond my skill at the time. <laughs> Um, but you know, <laughs> just dive in, right? Right. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually have built an one F model mandolin that I have sold and it turned out very well, but, uh, that little scroll 
uh, is no wonder they call it the thousand dollar strap hanger. That's to get that to look thousand dollar strap hanger. It's a lot of work. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so funny. Um, what kind of success have you had? Have you had success with all mandolins or you really focus on the octave more? Yeah, really. My focus is on the octave. I've only built and sold one regular mandolin. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the, I've probably sold in the neighborhood of 50 or 60 octave mandolins. Wow. Years. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems to be doing pretty well. And recently I built a couple with, um, a guitar shaped body and, um, the strung like an octave mandolin, which gives it, it gives it actually, it sounds more like a guitar. It loses a little bit of that mandolin punch and uh -huh. gets more sustained like a guitar. And on those, I also did uh, what they call fan frets or multi-scale. So the, your nut and your bridge are actually angled opposite of each other. So the the, really? I, I, the high E string has a 22 and three quarter inch scale. The G string has a 23 and a quarter inch scale. So, you know, half inch longer scale on the bass side of the instrument than the... Um, on the treble side and i did that because i've always had to have the action a little bit higher on the lower strings yeah. it just from buzzing and being floppy and th i did i was really pleased with the way these turned out they they sound really good and um and i was able to get get things the way i wanted them how many uh i'll call them experiments with air quotes how many experiments <laughs> did it take for you to get it down to where you liked it uh, for for um, either octave mandolin. Yes, yeah, yeah for the octave. Well, um, actually, um, just assume be in the in the just assume be lucky as good category. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, since I had done all these builder interviews, uh, for, I I used to interview mandolin builders and and uh, ukulele builders for Mel Bay. They had online magazines at the time. Uh, so that gave me ends with lots of builders. And I have to say the community of Luthiers is wonderful. I called and emailed and said, how do I do this? You know, and yeah. they were extremely generous with information. Nobody had any secrets that they, you know, oh, this is mine and I can't tell you how to do this. Um, so I, I got a lot of good information from, you know, you know, six or seven builders and kind of melded them into what I thought an octave mandolin ought to be. And that first one turned out really well. And before it left my shop, it sold a second one. Um, so, uh, wow. and I, yeah, so I, I, the design, like I said, um, one of my little, uh, little jokes is that I, I designed my own instruments which means I only steal ideas I really like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, see what I say what I, in that, that, that vein is like, if you steal from one source, it's plagiarism. But if you steal from a lot of sources, it's research. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so, so you do a lot of research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, the design, I mean, little details have changed, but mm -hmm. the basic design turned out pretty well the first time. If I'm at a, uh, a luthier shop or a guitar shop or whatever, and I'm looking at mandolins, 
is there something that's unique about a Joe Mendel octave mandolin? I'm going to say, oh, that's Mendel's work. I can tell by the. Oh, the, the headstock, uh, hopefully. Uh, yeah. it, it took me a long time to, to come up with a shape that wasn't directly copying somebody else and that didn't look like I was trying really hard not <laughs> to copy somebody else. And the, the, it has to be functional. Yeah. The, you know, that's that's the thing with the headstock. It's, it has to hold the strings in in the nut, and you, yeah. you don't want them splayed out at crazy angles because uh, that, that makes it harder to keep it in tune and, and you know, just causes other problems. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you could uh, – Look at uh, at my my headstock and and know that it's a Mendel. Well, plus it says right there on the headstock. It says <laughs> it does. Except no, I was I was, um, I was asked to build some guitars for a store, and they don't want for a high end guitar store, and they don't want a logo on the headstock. Oh, and, really? Uh, they want a unique design that people from across the room, whether they could read the logo or not, would say, oh, that's a Mendel guitar. Or a Mendel thing. Uh -huh. And so I've kind of come up with, with that. I haven't, uh, I have done on these two octave mandolins with the guitar bodies. I did do that on, and I've begun doing it on the guitars too. At first, my feelings were a little hurt because, you know, right. came up with this really cool headstock and, and my wife came up with a great logo for me that just went really well with the headstock. Yeah. And now you don't want the name on there, you know. Um, but, <laughs> How but dare I, you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my feeling. But I do sort of see the logic. Yeah. And, yeah. and as a side, he also said, well, you know, some people might might look at it and say, oh, I knew a real asshole named Mendel one time. Right. <laughs> that, you know, which you know one as a friend said how many people do you know um, <laughs> yeah well uh actually so we have a joe and i have a mutual friend uh we just call him eckert okay and eckert turned me on to fender amplifiers i love fender tube amps and we really got into a conversation yesterday he just kept calling him crap well he's the one that introduced him to me you know <laughs> <laughs> so now when i say fender it's got a real negative connotation to him you know Interesting, and, and, that, and that can happen i guess with any brand you know whether it's uh colgate toothpaste or a mendel's mandolin you know oh yeah and i mean uh yeah people you know the setup is terribly important and once that leaves my shop i don't have any control over that so yeah. somebody could pick one up and say oh this thing doesn't play well at all and if they're not set up well, they don't sound as good. So no, it's you know, interesting that you, you brought up setup. Oh, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh no, but you know, but somebody could, you know, I, I mean, my uh, first doctor mandolin has been out there for seventeen years now. Um, yeah, I have no idea what shape it's in. You know, so when you're playing, do you play an active mandolin or do you play a standard mandolin? Both. Okay. When you're doing sh when you're doing shows like uh, uh, did you, you didn't do no uh, what's that the North American there's a show that you did recently up in New York oh Woodstock Invitational Luthiers Showcase yeah okay so did you take all your stuff or did you just showcase one particular instrument there um, I took two octave mandolins and a guitar uh huh 
And tell me any big name stars buying any of your stuff yet? Um, well, uh, there's a guy named David Holt who uh, uh, is a banjo player. He had a show on the Nashville Network when that was a thing, and I can't remember the name of the show. He has an open back banjo that I made. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then um, there's a, a woman who's was is big in bluegrass, Claire Lynch, who I've been a fan of since I first saw her in the early 90s. Um, it's probably seven, eight years ago now, maybe a little longer than that. Um, they Her band uses an octave mandolin, uh-huh. and the one that they had, was, I guess, was an extremely fragile instrument. And so her husband bought one of mine because he liked the way it sounded and wow. played and thought it would hold up on the road. And uh, so I, I've actually gotten to be friends with Claire and her husband, Ian, and um, uh, have stayed with, when they were living in Nashville, my wife and I went down there a couple of times and actually stayed at their house. And, oh, that's uh, cool. So really I, cool. I, I had to go from fanboy to friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to yeah, take off my fan hat and become your yeah, friend. <laughs> yeah, the first, first time I was there, I ended up in the kitchen helping them make supper, which was kind of cool, that? you know. Yeah. And uh, and so they uh, they used uh, that octave mandolin. Claire is the, Claire and Ian have moved to Toronto, where he is from now. I see. Um, so so her the band that uh, she had isn't really together anymore. But um, but they uh, they did record a song on her CD called North by South. Um, call, a song called Molly May, which features my octave mandolin. Um, oh, I want to listen to it. That CD was uh, nominated for a Grammy. Well, I'll be darned. How so about that's that? Kind of, that's, you know, I don't know that it gains me anything, but it's kind of cool. It, it's very cool. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the only the closest to that greatness I've gotten was I own a Mendel's guitar. <laughs> and we'll talk about Margaret in just a moment. I was going to segue because you said something about setup. Right. And, and yeah. key, well, how Joe and I continued our friendship is I had a pest control company in St. Louis. So I had like a sort of a trade deal going with you. Right. Like I would treat yeah. your house a couple, three times a year. And in return, I would go in and say, here, set this up for me, set this up for me. He'd set up my guitars. He'd restring them. He'd fix them. He'd polish them. He'd do whatever. And uh, so it worked out really well. So that when I, uh, when my parents had passed away and, and I wanted to do something with, the money that I'd received from mom and dad. And I wanted to do something for me special. I mean, I gave money to my kids and stuff like that. But what I wanted to do for me was have a custom made guitar. And we're going to talk about that and Joe's guitar side of his business. After we talk about this. Okay. The jingle that hits like a single. That's a slogan for jingle lingo. It's an advertising vehicle designed to create a unique and personal jingle to promote and position your business and make it stand out above the crowd. Think of all the musical jingles you may have heard through the years. Who came up with that? Who wrote that jingle? Well, Jingle Lingo can and will put your business into higher vision and focus on all your advertising needs. Jingle Lingo. Custom-made, custom-designed with you and for you through the talents of accomplished singer and songwriter Courtney Davis Jackson. Check them out today and get to work on your own personalized musical jingle from Jingle Lingo, www.jinglelingo.com. Jingle Lingo, the jingle that hits like a single. 
one of the commercials I read here on the Music of America podcast. By the way, I'm Tom Pollard. I'm your host here, and our guest is Joe Mendel from Joe Mendel's Frets, Chesterfield, Missouri. Uh, one of the commercials we read, uh, you'll hear people have heard me talk about Margaret, a handmade guitar made by our guest today, Joe Mendel. So we talked about mandolins. I want to talk about guitars now because you're really getting into the guitar thing a lot lately, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, octo mandolins are really cool, but it, it, that's a small pond. Yeah. You know, guitars, a lot more people play guitar than, than octave mandolin. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and, and I've been in love with guitars, you know, since, since uh, a classmate in junior high school had a, a Gibson Hummingbird. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seventh grade. Uh, so... I love guitars too, and I, you know, play guitars, and I have a bunch of guitars. <laughs> I think Joe has more guitars than I do, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's my goal. I, I set certain milestones. So after I, after I, after I beat you, then I'm going after clapping. You know, <laughs> <All right. laughs> I think I want 400 guitars or something. <laughs> so uh, your first guitar was that a kit? Also, the first guitar you built was that from a kit? It was not. Um, it was, uh, well, actually, I did buy a guitar kit, and I got some really bad advice when I was bending and gluing the sides up, and uh, it then ended up in the fire pit because it was oh. just beyond salvage. Um, so you have to pay attention to who you're listening to. Right, right. <laughs> but the, the first one I actually completed um, was... Uh, uh, out of mostly out of a walnut board that I had doing woodworking. <laughs> yeah. You just had a piece uh, of scrap walnut and thought, you know what? Was that yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Wow. Um and it it I, you know, talk about getting lucky. It it turned out well. It took me four or five years actually to complete it because I was working mm -hmm. full time yeah. and repairing. Um so uh, um, let's see. I can't remember what year it was. Probably about two thousand. I finished it probably about two thousand five or six. Yeah, and um, may, may actually maybe a little before that. But um, then I had an instrument for sale on Mandolin Cafe and a, a flat picker from Washington area, Washington D.C. area, got hold of me about this mandola and uh, wanted to buy it. So I I sent it to him. And he ended, this was not one that I built. It was one that I bought. I haven't yeah. built any builders yet. Um, but so I sent it to him. He decided not to buy it. But then a few years later, he was coming to St. Louis to do uh, workshops and uh, that kind of thing and some concerts. And so he, he stayed with us and he saw that first guitar down there and he fell in love with it. Wow. Uh, which was kind of amazing. And then uh, a couple of years, after, he tried to talk me into selling it. And it had so many beginner's mistakes on it that <laughs> I, I really didn't want to sell it. He thought I didn't want to sell it because it was the first one. Right. And um, uh, but no, it, you know, and really looking back, the, those mistakes are probably things that most people wouldn't have noticed anyway. But, but as far as tonal I, quality, the tonal quality yeah, is pretty it, pretty it consistent. Well it did sound good. Yeah. Um, so a couple of years later, Oren, Oren Starr was the guy's name. And unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, but, uh, he was, uh, he called me and was saying, you know, I've been having shoulder problems 
you know, yours is an OM model guitar, which is a market, uh, Martin name uh, orchestra mm-hmm. model, which is a little smaller than a dreadnought. And he said, you know, I'm having shoulder problems and, uh, and I'm having trouble playing dreadnoughts. I, I really like that guitar and I, you know, I'd like to buy it. And so he finally talked me out of it and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he played it at, on, uh, um, was it this, uh, Smithsonian or something? I don't think the video is up anymore, but he used it on a, on a video thing that was, you know, on the internet, which was pretty cool. And, um, but it turned out his shoulder pain was actually throat cancer. Oh no. Sorry and, to hear that. Uh, yeah. He, he, he lived a few more years, but he finally died a few years ago, unfortunately. But that, that was kind of cool that, uh, a professional player wanted my first guitar too. So, so why did you, uh, transition? Like you said, it's a, it's a pond issue while you transition from mandolins into guitars what's the the craftsmanship like in your head how how easy is it to transpose doing mandolins into guitars or is it like saying this is how you speak english this is how you cook chinese you know just no no common similarities whatsoever uh there's a a lot of similarities i mean you know you have you have to bend a piece of wood for the sides uh use different forms but it's basically the same process mm-hmm. um the shape of each piece of wood is is different but that's again not that big a deal yeah um so they're really pretty similar okay um, um because all of my instruments would call people would call flat tops but they're they're not really flat tops and and like even when you know, like a martin guitar you call mm-hmm. it a flat top, but it's it really has a radius on the top. Okay, that's that, that kind of bowed yeah. up kind of thing. Yes, and that's to it. it uh, it's to allow for movement of the wood. So really, because if you just have a flat top, if it shrinks, it's going to crack. Uh huh. Whereas if with the with the in, with the induced arch, the braces are, are have the radius on them and glued to the top. So my my tops have a, a twenty five foot radius on them, so that that gives the wood a chance. It, it'll move up and down a little bit rather than just cracking. Um, okay. So I walk into a music store and I hear somebody playing a Mendel guitar. Am I going to confuse that with a Taylor or a Washburn or a Martin or what? What's it going to sound mostly like? Oh man, that's a good question, and I don't have a good answer. Um, <laughs> so far, um, all the guitars I've built have been basic Martin shapes. Uh-huh. I've I've come up with a couple of shapes on my own that I have instruments that I'm building. I'm, I haven't finished them yet. Um, I would I I tend to like Martin style instruments more than others. Uh-huh. Um, uh so i think you know it could be compared to that um and basically you know all my like my guitar building heroes richard hoover from santa cruz guitars and dana bourgeois from uh bourgeois guitars uh you know they are they they have their own instruments too but they started and continue to build sort of martin style instruments i got you you know, um, yeah. so uh, a lot of guys are doing some pretty radical stuff, but just different shapes, uh, and they're cool. I, I admire them. I don't, I don't know that it makes it a better guitar. It's just different. Now, I'm in Vermont, been up here since May, 
And when I left Missouri, I left Margaret behind. Margaret is my my guitar built by Joe Mendel. And I miss her a lot. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> and now I'm I'm coming back to Missouri uh for the winter and I'm looking forward to playing Margaret and getting my hands on Margaret again, although my hands are a year older now or almost, and I'm getting arthritis in my thumbs. But one of the things I loved most about Margaret was how it fit my hands so well and the low end sustain. So if we can talk about those two things, I think it's the, I I think you told me it was because of the spruce top that I had that low kind of resonance. Is that right? Uh, Well, um, yeah, I mean, spruce is, you know, common, probably the most common top wood. Okay. Yeah. Um, the the way you carve the braces colors the tone a whole lot. The 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 top wood, you know, there's I, I've used redwood and um, uh, Port Orford cedar, um, and they they're like flavorings. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the the braces are they have to be structural, but they can't be too heavy either, or you won't get any volume or tone out of and, it and the braces are inside the guitar okay right um that, that uh so you know i i glue braces on and carve them and shape. i have a i have a basic idea of how they're going to end up uh-huh. but i don't i don't want to go there before i glue them on because each piece of wood is different uh you know each piece of top wood um you you thin the top down to start with to roughly 125 thousandths, but I've gone as low as 110. Um, and you just tap on it and, and the Dana Bourgeois says he wants a clear ringing tone. Uh-huh. Some people go for a particular pitch, which I, I kind of like Dana's idea of just a clear ringing tone. And you've heard me tap on the tops. And sure. Sure. Listen to that. And, uh, when I tap on the top before it's braced or anything, I, I want to hear that initial tap and then it, the sound will fade a little bit and then it comes back just a little bit. That's the kind of the thing I'm looking for when I'm tapping on the top. That's fascinating. Then, you know, and then you, then you, you know, you cut the sound hole, you put the rosette in and cut the sound hole mm-hmm. and then you start gluing braces on it. And I'm kind of trying to get back to that that sound where uh, an initial tap you hear that you know the the burst of volume from from that tap and then it will fade and then come back just a little bit and it, it's not probably going to be the same pitch which right. i don't really pay attention to that but because now we've added a lot of mass and and structure to the top right you don't want um, this thing to weigh 75 pounds either right r- correct correct <laughs> Uh, but then you can't go too far because it has to withstand the string tension. That's right. Yep. Um, um, it's so there's there's um, an area where it will work, and if you know if you if it's overbuilt, it may sound good years later, but it's going to take a while. Uh, if it's underbuilt, it's not going to hold up over time. So kinda like it's kind of like wine. Uh, a good so wine, guess, a good wine gets better over yeah. time. And a bad wine is going to turn to vinegar in a week, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the neck real quick. Uh, 
because there's something about uh, I played a, a Bonnie Raitt Strat and it was almost too small for me. But this neck is bigger than a Bonnie Raitt. And I don't know if it's because of the design or what, but it, how it fits my hand is just wonderful. And how did we figure that out? Did you just, or was it a neck you had and I picked it up? I said, I love this. No, you brought a guitar that you had over that you liked the neck on. Okay. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't any high end guitar. I can't remember what it was. But it was probably my global, which is like they used to sell them, <laughs> to sell them like at Western Auto for like thirty nine dollars or something, you know. <laughs> but I, uh, I made uh, made templates of the neck um, with I uh, can't remember the name of the stuff. It's these plastic beads they put in one hundred and fifty degree water, uh-huh. and they they turn into a solid mass and they stick together but it's flexible so what i did was put masking tape over your neck and then squish this stuff onto there so i had had the shape uh-huh. plus you know six or eight thousandths from the thickness of the tape yeah I, I did that at the first fret and probably the ninth or tenth fret before the curve to the heel started and so uh, that's that's how i uh how I got a shape that you liked because it was from a neck that you had liked previously. Now I'm thinking it was probably my Dean. It was probably I, you know my what? Dean. I, I think it was. Yeah. I think yeah. it was. Another guitar that's in Missouri calling me saying, come home, <laughs> come play me. <laughs> Our guest today is Joe Mendel from Mendel's Frets. And uh, Joe, we're going to, we're going to talk about the section of the show that that's coming up is I call it shameless self-promotion. We're going to talk about how people can like, talk to you about getting things made for them, et cetera. But I want to talk about this first, River Ridge Farms. It's Vermont's recreation lover's dream. It's a gorgeous vacation rental nestled in the Green Mountains of Vermont. River Ridge Farms is an escape to everything wonderful Vermont has to offer. This historic farmhouse is set atop 16 acres of fields with mountainous views, a pasture, a pond, a tree-lined river frontage. Go and enjoy this beautiful spot right in the heart of the Green Mountain State. Along with multiple nearby ski and mountain resorts, breweries, biking and hiking trails, tourist activities, this spot is unique due to its multiple mountain views and the resident farm animals. When you talk to the owner and the host, Diana, about coming out, ask about interacting with the the pets, asking to pet the pigs. I took my grandson out there to pet the pigs, and he had the time of his life. And if you're not interested in the animals, just do a farm stay in this comfortable modern farmhouse, which sleeps about 11 guests comfortably. There's enough space to throw events, retirement parties, New Year's Eve parties, wedding receptions, or just relax and rejuvenate in the beautiful Vermont landscape. Check them out, River Ridge Farms. They're on Facebook, but to find them on Facebook, you have to check River Ridge Farms Jeffersonville. There's dozens of river ridge farms throughout this country so to find this one it's river ridge farms jeffersonville or find them through airbnb river ridge farms vermont's recreation lovers dream joe this is a segment of the show we call shameless self-promotion and uh you're just not really good at that i don't think no i'm not you're so humble. That's one of the things I love about you, man. You're just just a you're just a great artisan and craftsman, and your your humility doesn't allow you to do this. So I'm going to ask you, please, tell me how we can help you. Tell us how we can find your uh, products that you have, 
how we can sample or see or buy or have you make a guitar or mandolin for us? Well, I can always call 314-706-2115. My current website is joe at jmendelfretz.com, soon to be joemendelguitars.com. Uh, having having the website done, it's been a while, and it's uh, uh, not that the old site is bad. It's just pictures of old instruments that are no longer here anymore. Fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was was it fortunately or unfortunately? <laughs> no, no, it's for, for, fortunately that they're not here anymore. That means I sold them. <laughs> That's good. Okay. <laughs> and you're you're more in the guitar mode right now, right? Uh, well, right now, uh, just a little bit, I'm going to start building a couple of octa mandolins here because I sold one last weekend. Oh, wow. Um, so I only have one that I can show to anybody now. And, um, I don't like to have a pile of my instruments sitting here, except for the ones that I've kept for myself. Um, but I feel like I need to have something here in case somebody says, Hey, can I come over and, and look at one? Yeah. Yeah. Can they find, can they, we, uh, find your instruments on, uh, musician's friend or, um, there was a magazine article where you were featured, I thought. Uh, there was, what was that? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a big one. It might've been like a, uh, regional Michigan one from the Wheatland festival, which okay. I go to okay. uh, it's been a while ago. Um, Right now, um, uh, I don't have any in stores right now. Okay. Um, How about I, Amazon? I, I'm not on there either. I do have a page on Facebook. Okay. Uh, Mendel's Shredded Instruments. Um, um, and my, my website, mostly, um, I, I probably need to self-promote a little more. But um, hopefully... Uh, well, Dream Guitars carried my instruments for several years, and that's a, a very high-end instrument store. Uh-huh. So high-end that their bottom dollar is now $10,000. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so I, I'm trying to reach that level, but um, but not there yet. Um, they're, they're good people, and um, I like working with them, but they have a business to run, and they need to make a living, and I absolutely understand why, why they're uh, not having my instruments in there yet. And then um, I, um, I need to, as soon as I finish a couple of guitars, I will be taking them to Eddie's Guitars here in St. Louis. Okay. Um, they're, they're, they're good people as well. Um, and they they have an interest. We haven't got any deal going with them or anything yet, but we'll see what happens there. I bought a Koch from them, a Koch amplifier. Oh, okay. Down there at Eddie's in uh, Maplewood, Missouri. Yeah. 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 How about that? Joe's is fun. Thank you. <laughs> you're all, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and uh, to those that are listening to the show, keep listening because you'll hear me talk a lot about my guitar, Margaret. But Joe can help you again, as as he mentioned, and just check him out on Facebook or his websites. So that's uh, that wraps up our visit to Missouri here on the Music of America podcast. And thanks to Joe Mendel from Chesterfield, Missouri and Mendel's Frets. Up next, the Music of America podcast heads to Montana. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, 
please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.